Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. Of course, I am Ron Kolick, New England's own Van Helsink, and with me is the blonde bombshell Ann Carrigan. And today we're going where Ghost Chronicles Next Generation has never gone before, we're doing <laughs> Star Trek. Woo-hoo! Yeah, there you go. Hi, everybody. Thanks a lot. <laughs> that was your cue. <laughs> Woohoo. Woohoo. <laughs> I jumped right. in. Woohoo. As opposed to boohoo. And, Ooh, right. Woohoo is better, right? <laughs> Whatever. And, yeah, and the, so yeah. we're boldly going where no Ghost Chronicles show has gone before. And we're going to pay homage, right? Homage. Is that how they say that? Beats the to, to Leonard Nimoy. Really? Right? Oh, yeah? Is, is that what we're doing? I'm not. <laughs> You're not. <laughs> I'm talking about Star Trek. All right. We're going to start off talk about Star Trek. And Leonard Nimoy, if you wish, because you're the co-host, well, and you can bring whatever you want to the show, because... You are the co-host. Well, thank God. Thank God somebody is. Well, how can we know, How can we talk about Star Trek and not talk about Leonard Nimoy, who just passed away this week, this past week? I guess they buried him this week, right? Whatever. And, uh, I mean, I, I, I think, I have to say that there's so much that I didn't know about Leonard Nimoy because ever since we decided, you know, well, let's talk about him on the show this evening. Which I've is been like just Googling the ago. heck out of it. Hmm? Which is about 10 minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> That's us. We're right on the ball. Right on the ball. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, there's so much that I didn't know about him. And, of course, you know what I was, I was thinking as I was learning all this new information about Leonard Nimoy is that I feel like Leonard Nimoy is the equivalent. Uh, Leonard Nimoy is to this generation kind of the equivalent of Vincent Price to, to huh? an older generation. What? Don't you think? What? 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 Would you come up with that? Seriously. Seriously, would you come up with that? Because Vincent Price was always the go-to guy for the horror movies. Um, but he also um, was a very—he was a very prolific actor, and he also think about how much voiceover work Vincent Price did in his lifetime, and think about that in terms of Leonard Nimoy, and how much voiceover work he did. I mean, mm. I think that they follow a similar kind of of uh, path. Okay. Um, just, just really prolific, all-around, um, amazing actors, and not just act. I mean, they didn't just do acting. I mean, they did directing. They did this voiceover work. They did, you know, 
some other things we'll talk about with Leonard Nimoy later. But that's just my personal opinion, my humble opinion. Hmm. After, Fine. you know, thinking so much about it. Right. And and when I told her we were going to do a show on Star Trek because Leonard Nimoy had died, she wanted to know the correlation between that and the paranormal. And, of course, Leonard Nimoy was the voice in that uh, TV series, the, uh-oh, what was it, Unexplained? No. Oh, God. I just in search of. Oh, what was that? <laughs> it's that. It's, 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 it's that spot. Is that Spock? Maybe we should introduce our guest because that he knows be a, a plethora of things. What? Yeah. I didn't want to interrupt you guys. <laughs> we would okay. We're going to officially welcome Russ Hannigan, who is uh, my favorite coworker, my only coworker uh, <laughs> at East Bridgewater Community Television. But Russ is also, if you want to know anything about the man, the series. Any of that stuff, you talk to Russ Hannigan. again. Welcome, Russ. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm honored, but I'm, I'm, I'm a member of Starfleet International, the science fiction, the unofficial science fiction club chapter of Star Trek, but I am not by any means an expert. I'm humbled by others like uh, my friend Jerome Connor and John Grillo, uh, who claims he knows just enough about Star Trek to annoy his friends, but not enough to make any money off of it. I'm sure that you know way more than either Ron nor I know. Right, Ron? You say so. Ron. <laughs> Speak, Ron. Tell us you're there. I am. Can you hear me? <laughs> he was the host, though, of In yes. Search of, the paranormal show. So that's the title you that's were looking for. Right. Right. In Search of. And I know, I, and it's funny because I think a whole generation, a generation of people remember him more for in search of than they may for Star Trek. Yeah, but they also might remember him from Mission Impossible because he was a lead actor in that TV series, which many people don't remember. He played Paris. Mm-hmm. And anybody who was an original Mission Impossible TV series fan would remember mm-hmm. Nimoy more for that. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. It, it's funny because, and I, and I haven't, I went straight, of course, to Wikipedia because, you know, we know how it's the most accurate source out there, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, I can't believe all his acting credits. They're amazing. They're amazing. And directing credits. He also directed uh, one of the Star Trek movies, which was one of the bigger hits, and he directed mm-hmm. Three Men and a Baby, which many people forget about. Isn't that which funny? Is another, which is another yeah. paranormal thing. Yeah, well, it's got a paranormal event in it, but I don't know if it's exactly. a paranormal thing. It's a, it's it's a, it's a paranormal dead boy and thing. a baby in the background. If it's an event, it's a paranormal event. It's a thing, yes. Yeah. There you go. We just made that connection. There you go. Validated. Validated. <laughs> I told you and I everybody... knew a lot more than you thought. What's that? I told you I knew a lot more than you thought in. Oh, yeah. okay. There you hmm. go. Yeah. So anyways... Sometimes uh, you do. No, nobody can hear me. I don't even want to talk. I can hear you. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
All right. I'm going to wait until you two I'll, settle this. I'll stop, re- I'll stop responding. Russ is so lucky he gets to work with us once a month live on the set. We all know how much it fun is a, that. It is a lot of fun working on your show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but sometimes you want to kill us. <laughs> Deny it. <laughs> Not commenting. <laughs> oh, Michelle just logged. Little MC just uh, logged into our chat room. She hasn't been here in a long time. Hey. Hey, Michelle. Michelle Bell, yes. So anyways, oh, Russ, it, you are a, a Star Trek aficionado. And yes. you, I assume you've seen all the episodes. And um, I'm what they call a TOS fan, which is the original series fan. The what? TOS fan, the original series. See, the thing most people don't understand is Star Trek breaks off into so many different series that you have fans on different levels. You have uh, the original series, you have Star Trek Next Gen, you have Star Trek Voyager, Star Trek DS9, Star Trek Enterprise, um, and that's not even counting the movies. So there are fans on many different levels, but the original series Fans are often referred to as either TOS fans or Trekkies, not Trekkers. Uh-huh. Wow. Okay. Right. Sure. <laughs> anyway, so I assume since you're a TOS, whatever, um, Fan. Yeah. that you, uh, you, and I was, that was the question I was going to ask you, is which series do you prefer? So I'm going to actually have you rate the series from the best to the worst. That's a very good question, Ron. Um, I, I, and again, being slightly biased, I am more hooked on the original series because it was the first creation of, of Gene Roddenberry on, of his perfect universe of where man finally gets past war and poverty and crime and goes out to explore the final frontier. So with all of its flaws, because they didn't have the technology back then for you know decent special effects, the original series would have to be, in my mind, the best series, um, even with, you know, the, the bad special effects and the, the cheesy lines <laughs> in, in the third season. I love the original series. I mean, that's I. I mean, as kids, like Russ and Russ and I are about the same age, and I mean, we grew up on that stuff. Yeah. I mean, you saw we didn't have like a hundred bazillion channels like they have now on cable. We didn't have cable. We had, you know, like, what, 10 channels maybe to pick mm-hmm. from? So, Three major like, networks, oh, okay, maybe an I'll watch Star lucky. Trek again, you know? <laughs> but the, the interesting what, thing, Russ, is that uh, you, you said that was the best, but you didn't rate the other ones. So, once again, well, I, I, best I can give you worst, the worst. I yes. can give you the worst. Um, but there's some arguments. Um, and I, I would even have some arguments amongst my friends on this one. It doesn't matter. Uh, I say, your opinion. I don't care about your friends. Okay, <laughs> well, my opinion, the worst of the series would have to have been when it started to go downhill was um, Deep Space Nine because it wandered off of the original Star Trek um, track, which was the idea that Star Trek was a positive outlook on the future and on man's place in the future. And that's when they started to lose their way. Um, there were some bright moments in, in um, DS9, but generally speaking, not one of the better series, and I'd have to say the worst of all the series. 
Even Star that's, Trek Enterprise had some brighter spots. That's interesting, Russ, because I thought that once they made it go downhill, it was a better series. It, it, it only got better, if, if you'll excuse the expression, it only got better. Yeah, it only got good when they finally allowed Avery Brooks, who played Commander Sisko, um, to be more of what his type of acting character was, <clears throat> or what my friend John refers to as finally letting Hawk be Hawk. Because prior <laughs> to um, the actor playing Commander Sisko, the same actor played Hawk on Spencer. Right. And when they finally allowed that character to be not your typical Starfleet officer, but a guy who was willing to do things, you know, against the rules. This series got better. But mm-hmm. overall, you, you did ask my opinion, overall, I, I'd say it was the worst of the series out there. Even Star Trek Enterprise had some redeeming moments, minus the Zindi War, of course. Hmm. Hmm. Once okay. again, I, I like the Zindi War, so there you go. We have a question from the chat room for us. Um, okay. John would like to know, what about the movie remake? He would like to know your opinion. Oh, God. Uh, he's going to be really mad at me when I say this, but I actually <laughs> belong to a Facebook page. And the title of the Facebook page is, The 2009 Movie Was a Blasphemy. So that should give your friend uh, on the Internet a rough idea of my opinion of the new movies. I kind of indicated to him that I, I knew your opinion, but mm-hmm. I would ask you anyway. <laughs> uh, the, the, the one point that backs me up on this is the fact that uh, just the other year, the, the annual convention in Las Vegas, the Star Trek convention in Las Vegas every year, one of the largest ones that is not on the West Coast, they did a vote, a poll, to choose what the worst Star Trek movie was of all time. And usually the winner, and I hate to say this, is Star Trek, the motion picture. It usually wins because it was horrendous. But the last year they did the poll, it didn't come in as the worst movie. It was Into the Darkness. Was, and this was by Star Trek fans. Voted Into the Darkness to be the single worst Star Trek motion picture ever made. Mm-hmm. Beating out even the number one movie. Uh-huh. Wow. Interesting. What was the one that um, they rescued the whale? That was the voice. Boy, that actually was not a bad one. That was a good one. Good that one. Was, that because, was one of the ones that I've actually seen. Yeah. Um, that had some humorous moments in it. it. It had character development. Um, mm-hmm. The one sad thing is there was a wonderful scene that was cut from the movie. Um, mm-hmm. But it was a scene that would have been great if it was in the film, and it was George Sakai, who plays Sulu, who's walking around San Francisco. And bumps into his grandfather, who is a child <laughs> at the time. And in the scene that they were going to put into the movie, Sulu realizes, oh, my God, this is my grandfather. But it didn't make it to the final cut of the film. But it would have been a spectacular scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, there were, there were absolutely great lines in there. You know, uh, Chekhov walking around asking where the nuclear sub, the Russian asking where yeah. the nuclear subs were. And of course, nuclear you know, where the rest of the nuclear there, there are a lot of great lines in that film. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think okay. of uh, some of the better lines. Um, uh, I, I work in space, but I, I grew up in Iowa, was another good line, I thought. Mm. 
Uh, John said he had heard the even. He heard the even numbers are good and the odd numbers were okay until Star Trek Nemesis. I heard it was bad, and he just wanted He's to know if it was true. correct on that, and I would agree with him even on Star Trek Nemesis. It was bad, and it, it seems for some bizarre reason that that is the way it works out. Every other Star Trek movie was horrendous, but the, uh, the, the odd-numbered ones were good, the even-numbered ones were bad. And wait, 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 <laughs> wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. So, wait a minute, in search of Spock, uh, I don't know, I, I, I mean, the, when you've got the, the two of them with, with Khan, and then, I, I don't know, that's Well, the, the Wrath of Khan was, yeah, well, maybe I said it the wrong way, but, but the Wrath of Khan was excellent. It was where they were on track. That's when mm-hmm. we finally realized how to make a proper Star Trek movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the, seeing that The thing one. of it is yep. that at the end of the filming, even Nimoy himself said, they finally figured out how to do it right, and I end up getting killed off. Mm-hmm. And that's when Roddenberry <laughs> and others approached him and said, well, what if we could bring you back? Would you want to come back? And Nimoy said, if you do them as good as this one, yes, I'd be willing to come back. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. So that's what they did. Yeah. Um, I found something very interesting I wanted to to share with you guys. And this is a a Western Union telegram dated July 9th, 1962. It was sent to the then President of the United States, uh, addressed to the White House. And uh, it reads as follows. In the name of decency, don't pollute the air with the bomb. Preserve our children's air. Let them breathe clean. Signed, Sandra and Leonard Nimoy. 1933 Comstock Avenue, Los Angeles, California. Wow. So even <laughs> prior to Star Trek, Nimoy always tried to look at the larger picture. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's neat. That's a neat little bit of trivia. Yeah. So I, I know that Michelle in the chat room says that she uh, was more of a next generation uh, person. And, and I and there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. I watched the entire series myself, and uh, be honest with you, I, I don't think it could stack up to the original series. It just didn't have the character development that they had in the original series. They certainly didn't have the lines they had in the original <laughs> series, and and of course, they didn't even have the action from the original series. <laughs> well, I think the original series had more humor in it than Next Gen. Next Gen took itself, I think, and I like the series Next Gen. It just took itself a little too seriously. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. There were some wonderful moments in the original series where they, they would play with characters and they would have fun with lines. Um, okay. But the next gen was just way, it took itself way too seriously at times. Mm-hmm. Can I, can I throw something in here? Absolutely. One of my very favorite yeah. Star Trek episodes, because like I said, we all saw them like a hundred times. Well, I, One I of think my favorite between two of them because there there are two ultimate classics as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. City on the Edge well, of the, Tomorrow, in which Kirk falls in love with Edith Keeler, and uh-huh. the Doomsday Device. Ah, mm-hmm. So those are both. Those so, are. Dan, what was yours? You you started to tell us before Russ interrupted you. Sorry. <laughs> my my favorite one was the one with Terry Garr. And and they um it was Terry Garr and oh who was the guy? He was like a spy kind of guy. Gary Seven was the name of the, the it was actually supposed to be a spin off uh, T V series. 
Yes, Gary Seven. Yeah. Yes. And he had the cat. He yes. Had the black cat. Isis. Is- Isis with the yes, diamond. Which has a whole different meaning today. Caller, I know, right? But and then at the end, she was a woman. Yes. She was <laughs> a multi-dimensional was a creature. Yeah. And uh, but honestly, I I look at that episode, and um. I, I mean, years later, you know, at the time when I watched it, I'm sure, you know, it was in reruns. And, you know, I didn't know Terry Guy was, you know, up and coming. And um, and then years later, you look at it and you're like, oh, my God, that's Terry Gar. <laughs> and uh, yeah. you, you think of her and, you know, young young Frankenstein, you know, Vice. thank you, doctor, thank you, doctor. Um, so it's just funny to look back and see some of the people that were in these shows, but I just remember that being just one of my favorite episodes. Oh, yeah. And even that, the, the actors who were in Star Trek, to see them in other roles prior to mm-hmm. their appearance in Star Trek. For instance, Leonard Nimoy appeared in a black-and-white movie serial that was in movie theaters where he played a, a moon man and basically dressed mm-hmm. up as an alien on a flying rocket ship, and this was way early in his career, so he didn't have a lot of dialogue. He was just sort of like an extra at times. Mm-hmm. Um, or DeForest Kelly was notorious as being a bad guy in Western, but you can never really? see Doc McCoy as an evil, slimy cowboy, but he was in a lot of movies. Huh. And, That's um, funny. I never uh, knew that. <laughs> I can't think of him as a cowboy. And, and yet, if you go back and you watch a lot of the old westerns, you will see him as that that, that sort of twitchy, um, mealy mouth kind of guy who wants to, you know, kill you and take your cattle and run off. <laughs> oh, we have um, uh, Nate, our 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 friend and uh, famous audience member, Nate, in the chat room. He said, "Someone recently finally saw Into Darkness." And the following was a comment on Facebook. The new timeline is awesome. I just wish the haters would just realize it's, it's a movie in an alt timeline. How can they complain about it, about an alt timeline and be a Star Trek fan? It's like a fish hating the water. What do you think of that, Russ? Well, see, I would, I would very politely disagree with that opinion because the thing is they advertised it as the Star Trek reboot and as the original series, and I I think they would have made so much more money off of a reboot of the original series if they had left a few elements alone. As a Mm -hmm. standalone movie, as an action-adventure science fiction movie, it's fine. But as my Facebook page that I belong to, I don't run it, I belong to it, says it is a blasphemy against the original Star Trek series. There's there's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with changing designs, uh, and changing things, but altering some characters so dramatically. Like, one of the things that uh, annoyed me, and I don't know if it annoys other Star Trek fans, was Mr. Spock never had an affair with Lieutenant Uhura. Exactly. I'm sorry, but it never happened. Right. And to have that brought into an alternate timeline makes no sense, even if you destroy Vulcan, wiping out just about an entire species. Um, <laughs> some of the characters they got right, they did a good job with Dr. McCoy, um, they did a good job with Scotty, and I like Chekhov, but how he suddenly got transporter operation skills when he was a helmsman or a bridge officer, 
That <laughs> threw me for a loop as well. Even in an alternate universe, there's no explanation. So it's not a question of hating. It's just strongly disliking that it's like somebody painting a mustache on the Mona Lisa and then and saying, well, what's wrong with it? It's got a mustache now. You should love it now. It's got a mustache. Well, you okay. know, Russ, Russ, I mean, you look at that, you look at Battlestar Galactica, and they did virtually the same thing with that as well. But no, well, no, I disagree. Battlestar Galactica well, is a I reboot. disagree. I mean, you take Starbuck and you take the, the Cylons. You, I mean, th there's a whole different... It, it, they just, but it, it, with that particular series, though, I would actually say they improved on it. And here's the thing. I, I was a Galactica fan from the original series, but I still like the new reboot of Galactica. And I would have liked the reboot of Star Trek if they had done it correctly. And there were a lot of homages and a lot of points in the Galactica reboot that still paid tribute to the original series. You got to see the original Cylons towards the end of the series. Uh, you got to see development of characters that was well done. You got to see um, the history of the colonies. So you can do a reboot, and you can leave things behind. Uh, and still succeed. And Galactic is an example of, of how it can be done correctly. Whereas well, Star Trek, I, I disagree on that, but that's all right. And again, everyone's entitled to their opinion. I'm not claiming that I'm, I'm godlike. Especially me, because I'm the host. Uh, this is true. Yeah. Uh -huh. Any, anyways, we are coming you up. You know that Richard Hatch actually did attempt to do his own reboot of Galactic. Oh, interesting. But anyways, we are coming up to the break, so we are going to have to uh, hold on there for a minute and think about We are listening to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with the blonde mom shelf, uh, blonde shelf, oh well, the, uh, the, like lieutenant, that. the Lieutenant Aurora of Next Generation. Ha ha. See how I worked that in there? And of course, the debonair Van Helsink, Captain Kirk, and whoever this guy is on the phone. The red shirt guy. Oh, I am indeed a red shirt. I am a member of Starfleet Security. All right. So <laughs> say it's time to take a break. Uh, hang on. We'll be right back after the following messages right here on Toji Night, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and Far, Far Beyond. Ooh, <laughs> oh, God, you hurt me. Harry Price, I am speaking to you via the medium of the Ghost Box. Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Para-X Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. Two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing, although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. The other is Stephen Parsons, and he's a paranormal scientist. Well, mustache, I'm required elsewhere on something called a K2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? 
then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. And welcome back to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ron and Ann and our special guest tonight, my friend, Russ Hannigan, Star Trek expert. Ta-da! I'm honored. <laughs> hey, in my eyes, you're an expert, okay? That's good enough. Well, I, I, I appreciate that, but I, I'm, as I've said before, there are other experts out there. My, my friend Kevin Tachi, Don Guerrero, Jerome Connor. Uh, there are mm. just so many truckies out there that I feel I, I'm not worthy of their knowledge and skills. I'm not worthy. I'm game. not worthy. Precisely. <laughs> Hey, I have to bring something up here, okay, because in my little, my 10 minutes of research tonight, something that I came across was that it said that um, during the production of um, of Star Trek, you know, in its heyday, mm-hmm. Leonard Nimoy um, actually took on so much, because because he was doing this, you know, five days a week, he really kind of took on a lot of the aspects of Spock's persona um, and approached his, his life with, like, more calmness and more um, thought. Um, and he would get to the weekend and kind of be carrying his Spock persona through into the weekend. And then mm. it said, you know, around about Sunday, he would, like, start to kind of come out of it. And then, you know, boop, back to work on Monday morning and back into that character again. And... um I think that's that's a very interesting thing that someone actually kind of assumed that persona. Yeah, and that's the the fear I think a lot of actors have when they they take on a particular role that attaches to them. They're worried that they're going to be typecast, and even Nimoy himself was a little concerned. His first autobiography himself, "I Am Not Spock," was basically mm-hmm. a, a blatant attempt to distance himself from the character. Um, but mm-hmm. eventually, I think he realized, you know, no matter how old I get, I'm going to be walking down the street and somebody's going to say, hey, you're that guy with the pointy ears, aren't you? And he learned to <laughs> embrace the fandom out there that love him even to this day um, for the right. role he created. Mm. And hence, um, the second book was called I Am Spock. Yes. Right? That was the second yep. book. Yep. He finally em- embraced it. and. He, he was very big for young kids in the fact that here was a character um, who didn't quite fit in with all the people around him, but still worked with him. Uh, there was actually a reference in one episode he was referred to as a half-breed. Um, they kept mm-hmm. making references, you know, all that bad human blood you have in you. And that kind of stuff. They were always poking fun. And it hit a note with a lot of young kids who felt isolated or separated and made them feel like, Gee, I guess I might have a place in the future. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And isn't it isn't it funny? Um, sorry, I'm just typing something in the chat room at the same time. Um, think about Harry Potter, mud blood. Yes, right. Muggle. You're mud blood. Muggle. Um, it's it's like it's a revisited theme. You know. It is. So. You know, there's an interesting uh, uh, thought um, from one of the shows. Uh, do you remember the, the one on, I think it was the Scalicians, Russ, where they drank the water and they became, like, super fast? Yes. Uh, on the planet Gallus, very well. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and the, the, interesting thing, the interesting thing about that, Russ, is that when Maureen and I go uh, investigating uh she often hears like the buzzing of insects. And I've always thought of that at that show. And that makes sense because they always talk spirit as vibrational. Spirit is vibrational. And so, for instance, if the spirits were at a higher and faster vibration, you might get that same effect where you have the insect thing. Isn't that cool? That That is cool. And that's, uh, that's uh, an angle I've never approached it from. But, yeah, I would agree. That's an interesting aspect I never thought of before. Because the interesting thing is, is of course, we don't know what ghosts are. And, you know, there's, there's theories that they may be actually, uh, you know, us from another period of time. In other words, uh, we also might be interdimensional beings, you know, parallel universes. So it, it all fits in with the Star Trek when you think about it. The, the one thing that I remember from that particular episode, uh, everybody always thinks that Star Trek Next Generation was the first time you saw a comm badge. It's where you had a badge as the communicator. But if mm-hmm. you remember in that particular episode, the Scalosians had little pins that they wore that were their communication badges where they could talk with each other. Oh, yeah. So it really, really mm-hmm. was an idea that went back to the original series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, they- Michelle says her favorite episode was The Trouble with Tribbles. Got to throw oh, that yeah. out. Excellent. That, that is indeed um, one of the all-time favorites of all Star Trek fans. I actually had the pleasure of meeting the writer, David Gerald, who did uh, The Trouble with Tribbles. And to give you a rough idea of how popular that show was, there was actually a spinoff episode, one of the better ones on DS9, called Triumph and Tribulation, where the characters <laughs> from DS9 go aboard the K-7 space station, and they manage to CGI in scenes from the original series with the new actors in them, and were able to get Kirk and other characters to interact with the characters from DS9. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's different. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a great scene where um, Worf and uh, the other characters from DS9 are sitting in the bar, and the barmaid walks up and says, um, please excuse all the Klingons in the area. And they all look around. And the Klingons back in the original series didn't have all the bumps on their head and all the other stuff. No. So they all look around. Then they look at Worf, and Worf just sort of grumbles, long story, I'll tell you about it later. <laughs> I mean, see, that's the, that's the interesting thing when you look at the original series compared to the later series. They were more human in it. I mean, they had bar scenes where they fought in the bars. Remember the, between the Klingons and the, yep. and the, and, and that, that particular show you're talking about, but they had, they were more human in that first series. Yep. Yes, definitely. 
you had people yeah. getting drunk. You had barroom brawls. Uh, you had yep. Scotty recovering from going on short leaves. There were a lot of fun things from the original series. That, as I said, nothing wrong with Next Gen. They were just a little, I thought, a little too serious. They didn't have enough humor as the original series did. I, I think the problem with the second next you know, generation is that they, be, they became more P PC. Uh, they wanted to give that more love and light stuff than the, they did in the original series. That, to a degree. I mean, you even had the opening theme change from where no man has gone beyond to where no one has gone before. Mm-hmm. So mm -hmm. they were trying to be a little bit more PC in the next series. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, you have to think on the original series. I mean, like all the female crew members, they had the plunging necklines. They had the short, short skirts. Um, they were always Which there. Which is why you had a lot of know. male viewers for the original. <laughs> yeah. They were just purely there for eye candy, you know? Well, no, you've got to give tribute uh, no, no, to a couple no, no. things. Lieutenant Uhura actually took over the navigational position in, in one episode to show that she had skills yeah. beyond being just all hailing frequencies open to mm -hmm. And there were other moments where you saw some of the female characters' uh, development. Yeoman Rand, who didn't appear in a lot of episodes, um, right. still had some very dramatic lines. Um, one of my favorite scenes um, was in an episode where she's serving coffee to the bridge crew. And you think, okay, that's not a, a, a leading thing. But even Captain Kirk looks at her and says, I thought all of the equipment was off in the galley. And she said, well, I managed to use a hand vaser to heat up the coffee. So it showed that even mm -hmm. in the future, women could be creative in solving solutions that men would never have thought of. Mm -hmm. But still subservient, because she's serving the freaking coffee. No, no, well, that's not well, true. Well, everyone serves coffee in the, in the 23rd century. <laughs> oh, bull. I never saw a male crew member serving coffee. Um... Actually, Ever. I'd have to go back and I'd have to check that. I know that there were people drinking a lot of coffee in the original series. Mm. They were very highly mm -hmm. caffeinated. She was a, oh, she was you, a yeoman. Oh, Rand right? was, always, was always this little flirtation with her and Captain Kirk, right? True. There was right? a flirtation with her and Captain Kirk. But yes, there was. Um, oh, yeah. You had she Nurse was Hottie McToddy. You had Nurse Chapel, who was a, a dominant figure as well. Well, yeah, yeah, but, but Nurse Chapel also had the hots for Mr. Spock, which is why the whole Uhura thing doesn't work out. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. right, anyway. So we we have um, from chat room, okay, um, Michelle wanted to bring up, don't forget the first interracial kiss on TV yes. was on Star Trek. Yes. And in Very fact, the networks were terrified of that particular episode because they weren't mm -hmm. sure how the southern stations – um, we're going to react to it. And they were afraid that they were either going to drop the episode completely and not air it, or that they were mm -hmm. going to get a ton of hate mail. Mm -hmm. um, one of the, and... the better episodes uh, of Star Trek which covers racism uh, mm -hmm. is one, and in, in the, the title is Casey right now, with uh, Commissioner Beale in it. The black and white and one? It, yes, that's exactly it, Ron. You nailed it. Uh, two characters, one with their, one is black on one side, white on the other, and the other is black on one side and white on the other. And oh, yeah, that's the Riddler. Yes. Frank Gorshin played the Riddler, plays Commissioner Frank Beale Gorshin, in the episode. Yeah. And the, the thing that the episode was good at pointing out was how stupid racism actually is when you look at it. Mm -hmm. um, because Commissioner Beale points out, 
well, you can obviously tell why my prisoner is uh, less advanced than I am. And Spock and Kirk look at each other, and they're confused. And he says, well, I'm, I'm black on the right side. I'm white on the right. And they're again looking at each other. And my prisoner is white on the right side and black on the other. And all this is a question of which side is black and which side is white. And it was a wonderful episode in pointing out just how foolish racism can be. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but at the time, and it's funny because as a kid, you're just like, like you don't, you don't get that moral message. As as because I was a young kid watching, yeah. it, you know. But yeah, but now you look at it and you're like, oh wow, look what they did there. You know, the, the other interesting thing, too, is is they explained why, you know, the non-interference rule was so important with the, the uh, prime directive. You're right. The, with the uh, the Chicago uh, episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A piece I mean, of the that action. Was, that was a prime example of how you can screw up a whole planet by just one simple thing, you know, like leaving that book behind. Yep. Uh, there was another one, uh, and I'm trying to remember that the name of that one, but where uh, a Starfleet historian decided to model the planet culture after the World Nazis. War II Nazis. Yes. That was another mm-hmm. example of screwing around with the Prime Directive will get you into trouble. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And and wasn't that one the uh, the one that was the one where he fell in love with Edith? That was uh, Sitting on the Edge of Forever, and that one was an unintentional um, skewing of the timeline. So you really can't say that was an interference uh, of the Prime Directive because they screwed up Earth history. Mm-hmm. And it was only because Dr. McCoy had gone back through time and rescued a woman who should not have lived. Right. Oh, okay. I'm getting my characters confused. Right. It was Bones, right? Yes. And he, they... They had to let her get hit by the car. Yeah. Yes, right. And, and, and that's why it's they, one of my all-time favorites. Between that one and the Doomsday Machine, that one you mm-hmm. saw real emotion. Uh, you saw right. some really humorous moments. You saw some clever moments, and um, just wonderful acting and a fantastic episode. Well written, although um, the writer himself was a little annoyed because they had toyed around and really seriously altered what the original plot line was supposed to be for that episode. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They, they, in the original episode, it was supposed to be um, two Starfleet officers jump back through time. It is uh, a drug-induced haze that causes uh, the interdimensional rift. It, it was a completely different script. But I okay. think the final version of the script... Um, regardless of what Harlan Ellison thinks, and Harlan is a great writer, no argument, but he also has an ego larger than Starfleet. And <laughs> he tended to get very upset when they would mess around with his script and alter things. Mm-hmm. Even though I think the finished version, what they did with his episode, was wonderful. Right. Now, let me ask you that, since you brought up altering. Now, the the, the original series... Uh, they've actually uh, reworked them. Uh, what is your thoughts on it? You mean the re-CGI'd Masters? Yes. I love them. I have the complete collection at home. 
where, where they added uh, a lot of the exterior shots. And, you know, for instance, yeah. the Doomsday one, they, they changed the battle itself. Uh, yeah. Yes. And, again, it's one of these things. I have nothing against new technology and against them altering things. I think they actually – I think if Gene Ronberry had seen them, I'm not sure if he had or not, but if he'd seen them, I think he would have appreciated – he would have been like, yes, that's what I was trying to do. Um, he would have liked the special effects because they they took the original series and made the shows look better. There's what I call the hull scraping shots where you actually get to see the Enterprise Constitution class go by the camera so close you feel as if you're scraping against the side of the ship. Right. And it's just it's beautiful work. Um, another episode, um, The Ultimate Computer, where you get to see three other starships uh, uh, going in a mock battle against the Enterprise, not realizing the Enterprise has become a dead weapon because the M5 computer has decided to protect itself. Right. Um, it's just beautiful imagery. You actually get to see other ships besides the Enterprise, which unfortunately is rare in a series. Exactly. Well, it's because of the cost and the, and the technology at the time. But the interesting yeah, exactly. thing about Star Trek, too, as we look at it, uh, the, the things that they, you know, brought up would be the future has come true in a lot of the, mm -hmm. the uh, things. Don't you agree? Oh, uh, totally. In fact, some of the stuff from the original series has inspired the future. And the irony is the creators of Star Trek went to scientists and went to futurologists and basically said, look, what can we use or what can we do that would be futuristic? And mm. things like the communicator, which eventually became the cell phone, which at one point there was a cell phone out there called StarTac. Gee, sounds familiar? It was a flip phone. And they intentionally uh -huh. designed the phone to look like the communicator because they knew they would get a large geek audience out there if you wanted to buy those phones. Right. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> you even look at the uh, the computer uh, disc they used to put in. That that's the three and a half inch disc that we used to dump in our computers. Yep, the the floppy uh, discs. Yeah, the floppies. Mm -hmm. Hey, and and remember in in that particular episode with Terry Gar, they dictated to the typewriter, and it mm -hmm. typed by itself. So mm -hmm. think and about now there's your dragon. Can do that. Your dragon naturally speaking. Right. right, your voice recognition software. Right? Absolutely very true. In fact, I, I would even argue that Star Trek showed in one episode the very first flat screen TV. It wasn't Starfleet technology, it was alien technology, but there was an episode where one of the characters is watching um, rather discreetly on what could be considered a flat screen TV set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they were, okay. they were definitely they were definitely pioneers, there's no doubt about it. And, yeah. you know, the episodes were, were so good and so much thought went into them. Uh, and, the, you know, the humor is, I mean, to me, that's key, too. Uh, you had the action. You had the love, of course, with Kirk Ayers, for sure. Uh, <laughs> and, and you yeah. always had humor. And the lines were excellent. Uh, they kind of, you know, got away from that a little bit. They tried a little bit too hard, in fact, yeah. next generation. I think. Yeah. One of, one of my favorite movies out there, which is Star Trek but isn't Star Trek, is a movie called Galaxy Quest, which sort of, oh, I mean, ultimately it's a satire of Star Trek. Yeah. But there are so many great little scenes in Galaxy Quest which are direct ripoffs of the original Star Trek series. Mm -hmm. um, but if, if you'd watched the original series and then went out and watched Galaxy Quest, 
I mean, I can remember sitting in the theater and laughing hysterically, almost falling out of my chair, and people are looking at me like, okay, it's funny, but it's not that funny. I'm like, no, you have no idea how funny it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a scene with um, one of the characters on the shuttlecraft in Galaxy Quest, and he's like, I don't want to go down there. And they're like, well, why are you bitching? You wanted to go down there. You told us you wanted to go down there. And the actor who's playing the actor in the show is like, no, but that's back when I thought I was going to be the character that stays on the ship and dies on the ship. Now I think I'm going to be the character that goes down and doesn't have a name and I'm going to die on the planet. And, oh, my God, I don't have a name. I'm going to die. And I'm sitting in the theater just laughing because that's the fate of a red shirt right there. (laughs) That's Starfleet security. Yeah. <laughs> it's Kirk McCoy and character Ensign King, you know, Ensign Ricky going to beam down. Yeah. And only two of them are going to beam back up, and it ain't going to be Ensign Ricky. And, of course, uh, uh, to what, one of the things I found really, really humorous was Sigourney Weaver's role, which was to repeat every command to the computer. Yes, and that was her only dialogue. That it's was like, it. My that job, was her and I have to do that. That, that was a total I, I personally like the engineer, um, um, I believe his name is Salute, the actor who played the engineer on that series. Right. And he's calmly giving advice to the bridge crew, and he's like, okay, we've got a problem here with the beryllium sphere. And he's like, has no idea what he's even talking about, but he's just sort of like, okay, guys, let's get together. Let's do a group hug. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny. Yeah, what right. I found um, Starfleet fans is you either totally love Galaxy Quest and you get the joke, or you totally hate it because you think it's blasphemous towards the original series. No. There's no in between. You either love it or hate it. But I, I, I thought it was a wonderful spoof, the original series. Right, so we're running out of time, and I, I did want to touch a little bit on some of the other series as well, including, uh, you know, uh, Voyager and um, mm. uh, what's the other one? Well, we already touched a little bit about Enterprise, but what about, what about yep. Voyager? Voyager... Uh, I, I just, I, I have mixed feelings about it. It had so much potential, but it just, and, and there were some great characters on it. Don't get me wrong. Uh, the, the Ethan Phillips, who played Neelix, was a great character. He was interesting because he was on board a Starfleet ship, but he wasn't a Starfleet character. And the EMH, the Emergency Medical Hologram, um, Robert Picardo, who played the Doctor, Right. Uh, who originally, uh, uh, he was sort of their version of Spock. He was an unemotional character, except he had some sort of electronic emotion. So there was mm-hmm. good stuff on Voyager, but there was also so much, unfortunately, just, it was muddled. A lot of it was muddled. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm trying to think of... Well, I don't play. I didn't see Voyager, so. <laughs> no, well, you didn't miss much, really. <laughs> but you had a woman. Let me ask you, Ron, what would you consider the worst of the series? Which one is, is your vote for the worst one? Worst series? Yes. Uh, I was going to have to say Enterprise only because I didn't watch it that much. It never caught And my... you, you said you liked the Zindi War. I, I saw at the end. I, I'm an action guy, if you can't tell. So I, I certainly <laughs> love. That's why I like DS9 when when they went to war with the. They had all the the you know the stuff going on with the Cardassians yeah. and and uh, I mean that was to me I I enjoyed the, even the original series. I liked the ones with the Zon and the, 
you know, the first uh, Romulans, uh, you know, the cloak ship and everything. Those, those to me, yeah. I, I enjoyed because, like I said, I enjoy action. So, and Johnny, well, you know, DS9 yeah. was nothing more than a reaction to Babylon 5. You know that, right? What's that? DS9, the TV series, was nothing more than a knee-jerk reaction to another science fiction series called Babylon 5. Babylon 5 was excellent. Babylon Except- 5 was excellent, and it came out. And the folks at Star Trek said, wow, if they're doing a space station series, we need to do one. Because if theirs is popular, ours is going to be twice as popular. But they didn't realize that Babylon 5 didn't take the same tact as Star Trek, and the tact they took with DS9 was terrible. Yeah. 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 <laughs> now, I have to throw something out there um, that Russ actually worked on the set. Um, mm-hmm. He crewed on a um, uh, Webisode. kind of a, a, an offshoot of uh, a remake of Star Trek. You can explain it better than me. Star Russ, Trek get Phase 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, a series that's produced in upstate New York by James Cauley, and I was honored to be part of the crew on an episode. And um, it, they, when I worked on it, they had a full-scale bridge. They had a full-scale transporter room, captain's quarters, and it was just such an honor. It's actually where I met uh, David Gerald, the writer for um, uh, Trouble with Tribbles. He was the um, guest director for the particular episode uh, wow. that mm-hmm. I crewed on. Um, and it, 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 it is a beautiful homage. If anyone gets a chance, type into any search engine, Star Trek Phase 2. They have some really well-written, well-created um, CGI effects. The acting is a little, I, I hate to say amateurish, but you got to remember these aren't professional actors. These are fans of the series. But other than mm-hmm. the acting, the writing is superb, the special effects are superb, and the plot lines are amazing. I mean, they managed to tie in a lot of things from the original series into these webisodes. Right. And mm-hmm. they just pay incredible tribute to the original series. One of Any my favorite stories was Michelle Nichols had paid a visit to the set in upstate New York. She was a guest uh, actress on one of their episodes. This tells you how beloved this series is in upstate New York. And when she walked onto the bridge and she saw the lights and everything else, she turned James Paul, and she said, you can feel the spirit of Gene here. This, you guys ah. are definitely doing it the right way. All right. Well, I hate to say this, but we're out of time, so we've got to say goodbye to you, Russ. Uh, we want to thank you so much for uh, joining us today. And if somebody wanted to see that series, where could they see this series? Uh, the, the best suggestion, you type in any search engine, Star Trek Phase 2, and the episodes will come up. And the, the wonderful thing is uh, it's it's – like I said, original music, you get to see the sets, you get to see some incredible CGI work. Uh, James Cauley is the executive producer for the series. Um, and for a while, he even started as James Kirk as the character James Kirk on, on the webisodes. They've got a new actor cool. in there now. So. Interesting. Cool. All right, Russ, we want to thank you so much for joining us and, uh, you know, live long and prosper. <laughs> and thank peace you. and long life to you as well. <laughs> Thank you so, so much, Russ. I really appreciate it. But I mean, I, one thing I do want to add is if you watch the TV version of Ghost Chronicles or the video broadcast of Ghost Chronicles Next Generation last week, we gave out the winning numbers for Kino. And mm-hmm. people wanted to know how we did. 
Well, yep. uh, Anne was able to get three of the five numbers. Leslie mm -hmm. got one of the five numbers. And yours truly got four of the five numbers. So there yep. you go. 20 bucks. Anything <laughs> is possible. Oh, I know. It was fun. It was fun, yeah. though. So till next time, good night. God bless. Live long and prosper. Thanks for listening, everybody. Good night. Talk to you next week. From goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night, deliver us good law.